Ron DeSantis is Ron DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war here soon, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it shows that because the civil war is, is over, doesn't mean that animosity just goes away, or you automatically are like, yeah, we were wrong, hey, I'm so sorry, yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snap Up, where each week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done as society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snap Book, don't be surprised when we start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway. Back in the good old days, you could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids. We're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars of debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty dollars or $30,000 they borrow. They might pay two or $300,000 in their lifetime with all the competitive interest. And now here are your hackers of the week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome back into the Snap Hook Podcast. Another week Another episode, Scott and I are here after a, you know, hopefully a nice, relaxing Labor Day for you, Scott. I know mine was enjoyable. Yeah, it was. You know, I don't know how, you know, how you can put it, you know, any better. You know, day off work, had a nice cigar, you know, in the evening after the Astros demolished the Rangers to retain the silver boot yet again. I don't know how you get better than that. Yeah, I mean, any uh, any day off, paid day off of labor is always a good day, you know, a good start. Uh, Astros winning, always a, a better day. I'll take that any day of the week. Doing against the Rangers, even better. Um, being there, taking it to another level. And then hearing the Astros fans completely take over that stadium to where you're in a visiting team stadium, and at many points during the game, they were audible Let's go Astros chance cascading through the stands. I mean, it was something special uh, yesterday to watch that game. Uh, and, and tonight is, is turning into something special here as well. Well, I, I do have some bad, bad news. We're, we're uh, So, of course, we're recording this on a Tuesday for you folks uh, to get behind the scenes. And it looks like the Rangers have gotten on the board here in the bottom of the fifth. It is now nine to one mm. Astros. Uh, I was kind of hoping, you know, Fromber would, you know, kind of mosey on through the lineup, you know, at least one more time. But, you know, it looks like uh, he might be doing his kind of thing where he kind of limps maybe into the sixth. Um, he's had a few good outings here lately. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm starting to feel a little bit better about him. Um, maybe not so much the rest of the pitchers in the rotation. Time will tell. Um you know, I think part of it, again, part of it is is on our old friend Dusty, as uh, we've we've continued to see, he just doesn't handle his pitching staff well. Yesterday, uh, you know, we take yesterday's game is, is a great example. Uh, the Astros are an 0-3, 3 nothing hole after you know a little bit of a tough start by France. 
but he, he fought through, right? He gets through the fifth inning. The Astros in the top of the sixth, uh, you know, get the back-to-back homers from Dubon and Altuve. Uh, now, all of a sudden, they're on top. I think it's 4-3 at that point. Um, and then what do you do? You send France right back out there, and he gives up a home run, and now it's 4-4 again. And so it's like, at that point, why did why did we send him back out when you got the lead, you got him through five, let's turn it back over to the bullpen, right? Like, here we are again. Uh, with Dusty Baker doing Dusty Baker things, you know, and it's it's just God, you know, it's it's such a tight it's such a tight race down the stretch. Is, is Dusty going to get the hell out of the way? Is this team going to do what they're doing the last couple of days, where they win by so much it really doesn't matter? It, it really, God, it's 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 fun to watch, but it's stressful at times, Scott. I think what alarms me more, and I don't know, I mean, obviously we've paid a lot of attention to this, but they are 35 and 34 at home. Yeah, that is it's interesting. Just, it's inexplicable to me. I, I guess the only thing I can think of is they're using the booing on the road as fuel. I mean, I, I guess that's that's all I can go with. And and I it finally, I, I reached an epiphany. I've never been a huge Dusty fan. But I always stomached Dusty in the last three seasons because he has been really instrumental in getting those young pitchers to pitch well. I think he shows confidence in them. I think that's particularly true when Fromber came up in 2020. And, you know, I don't know that any of us thought Fromber was going to be anything. And then all of a sudden Fromber just, you know, was the best pitcher on the staff in 2020, especially with JV went on the shelf. You're, you're forgetting how good Lance McCullers was in 2020. Fromber was great, but Lance McCullers was was unbelievably good in 2020. Lance he, McCullers is the reason we even made the playoffs that year. He's tr- That's true. And we were 29 and 31, so I would say the AOS sucking is the reason why we made the playoffs that year. But what I'll say, though, is that, his confidence that he's shown in Christian Javier, the confidence that he's shown in Luis Garcia, of course he's not hurt, um, and to a lesser extent, Jose Urquidy. I think those guys, and then later on, Hunter Brown last year, um, and JP France this year, but the problem is is that those young guys just haven't been as good this year, particularly Javier. Um, Urquidy has been, I, I don't know, I don't even know what he is at this point. I think Urquidy, uh, I think we're I think we expect too much out of Urquidy, Scott, because at the end of the day, if I if I give you his numbers and told you he's your fourth or fifth starter during the regular season, I think most major league teams would go, okay. And they take a, it. Not a five fifty ERA. It, but he's not normally that. When you I look know, at his- that's what I'm saying is that the, you're looking at guys and, and, and I would say Hunter Brown shouldn't be a four and a half guy. But that's what he is right now. Christian Javier shouldn't be a four and a half ERA guy, but that's what he is right now. And so the problem is, is that that young pitching has covered up a lot of holes on this team. We were talking about it, you know, via text last night, you know, just the number of people who have left this team who are major cogs in other organizations, George Springer in Toronto, Carlos Correa in Minnesota, you know, JV initially going to New York and then coming back. Uh, Charlie Morton going to Tampa Bay, then going to Atlanta. I mean, these, uh, Garrett Cole going to the Yankees. These are all huge pieces that have left this team, but they were able to replace them with younger players. Well, those younger players, at least the pitching side of it, not doing quite as well this year, which makes those head-scratching lineup 
choices just that much more glaring. Because yesterday's lineup showed you we can overcome a, a not so great start as a team, right? When you have the firepower that the Astros have in that lineup, um, you can overcome that. And you know what? I'm I'm becoming more and more a fan of Dubon playing center. I think he's he's a lot better defensively than we give him credit for at times. I, the play he made um, in the in the right center field gap yesterday was was unbelievably fantastic. And his bat right now is 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 great. You know, the only thing is, the way things are set up now, we're always leave. We're always going to leave. I feel like one good bat on the bench, Scott. You know, and and until Uncle Mike can learn how to play first base, that seems to be the case. Because if you want to play Dubon, that means you're going to. If you want to have your maximum lineup, that means you're going to have Chaz in left field. And realistically, I love that defense. You know, that gives uh, defensively. I think we're we're solid in that case. Okay, and then you're DHing your Don. And now Uncle Mike's on the bench. Or you play Chaz in center. You put Jordan in left. You DH Uncle Mike. Or you, Uncle Mike's in left. You DH Jordan. But now Dubon's on the bench. And the way he's swinging the stick right now, do you want that? And so I, I think we're at the point, you know, we saw Uncle Mike with a first baseman's glove when he was doing rehab, when he was getting ready to come back up here. I, at what point is, is, is we go to him and say, hey, man, for the, for the betterment of this team, we need you to play first base. And I, and I know it's tough midseason and, and things like that, but could you imagine this lineup if you can replace Abreu or you could replace Singleton and, and it's Michael Brantley playing first base for you? Yeah, that, that uh, you're in a pickle. And I think hopefully, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed, I hope we've seen the last of Jake Myers, at least you know, you know for the time being until next year. Because you're absolutely right. It should be Chaz or Dubon in center. I don't need to see Jake Myers anywhere. Um, now, what kind of puzzles me is Brantley isn't in the lineup tonight against a right-hander. That puzzles me. You're sitting in two games in a row. I, 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 don't, I don't know why that's happening. I think Chaz forced his hand a little bit yesterday. You, you sat Chaz basically the whole Yankees series. Oh, you, you pinch it for him late in a terrible decision then you sat on the next two games and then Chaz goes out and has a fantastic game yesterday kind of forced his hand right both Dubon and Chaz how do you pull them out you Chaz has three hits Dubon has two homers I, I think even Michael Brantley would look at Dusty and say hey you got to put those guys back in the lineup again yeah you know what um what bugged me because I I think the the singleton pinch hit performance happened after our show last week yes what I heard, you know, the radio guys talking on about it on the air, and I, I think, and, and it rings true, is that Dusty quoted some kind of stat. I think it was like it was expected, expected batting, batting average, average against the cutter. And it's like, okay, dude. No, I'm sorry. Expecting batting average on the cutter on the inside part of the plate. It's like, okay, dude. You either believe in numbers or you don't. And then he goes on to say the game was already long lost at that point. It's a fucking one-run game. Yeah, one-run game, you know, one hit changes everything. We he goes, it. no one's getting a hit on that guy. He literally goes, by the time Holmes is in the game, it's over. No one's getting a hit on him. Oh, are you fucking kidding me, Dusty? Like, we are a magical team at times. Like, we literally had a, 
uh, uh, the best closer in the league in Baltimore who comes in to shut it down, and Kyle Tucker, it's a fucking grand slam. So it's never over until all 27 outs have been recorded. But our manager's saying, how we weren't going to win anyway. Let's get Singleton and A.B. Like, what the fuck? You know what Dusty kind of reminds me of is, is you know, my favorite, you know, a guy who was robbed out of the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor was Lou Brown, you know, uh, James Gammon playing Lou Brown in Major League. I mean, he was probably my favorite character. I mean, obviously, I mean, the iconic scene where he pisses on Dorn's contract. I mean, that's just, you know, that's terrific. But when Dusty reminds me of him, because, you know, he'd sit there and go like, uh, and he'd pitch and go, hey, let me go get him, Lou. Nah, let's see how he reacts. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> and then at the end, he's sitting there going to Charlie Sheen, going to Rick Vaughn. Well, I know he hadn't done much against this guy, but I got a hunch he's due. And that's Dusty Baker. And if you're going to manage that way, manage that way. If you want to sit there and say, you know what? I thought Singleton could get a hold of one and maybe win the game for us. I would think you're an idiot, but I'd be like, okay. All right, we'll ride you. You know, you we you got us a World Series last year, so we'll ride that hunch. I, I think Chaz barbecued fish in the bake room. He he microwaved fish in the bake in the break room. That must be it. Maybe he wore his socks in front of Dusty, and you know hasn't washed them in a few days. I, there's something's going on there. It's. It's astonishing. It's absolutely astonishing because, like, let's let's back it all up, right? Because we get mad at the day in and day out. Let's look at the the slaps in the face that Chaz McCormick has taken, right? Like, he gets sent down last year, middle of the season, so they continue to play, you know, Siri and Myers, and then there's an injury, and Chaz comes back up and goes on a great run. But you know what? They still keep throwing Jake Myers in there until Chaz literally forces your hand in the playoffs and says, this is my fucking spot. Stop taking my name out of the lineup. Chaz makes a game-saving catch. A no-hitter, I mean, uh, yeah, a no-hitter-saving catch in Game 6 of the World Series to where his jersey number is imprinted in the warning track from where he landed after coming down. He homers off of Garrett Cole in a playoff run. I mean, the guy couldn't have done more in the playoffs, Scott. He was a crucial part of the World Series run. And what does he get? On opening day, as they honor all the World Series champions, he gets a spot on the fucking bench as Jake Myers gets the opening day start. For whatever reason, Dusty wants to keep everybody fresh coming out of spring training. That's what he says, right? Everybody's got to get at bats. Then, as and I sent you that list today of of players that got starts throughout the season. Myers isn't even the worst part of it because if at points you were playing Myers and Chas together. I would have been a, I would have been a little bit more excited than what they were doing with Corey Jokes in left field. Corey Jokes got 78 starts this season, worth 0.3 WAR on the season. 78 fucking starts for Corey Jokes, Scott. And I get that there was a whole, you know you had Brantley was out. I get that, but you have Chess. You have a guy with an 850-plus OPS. You have the kind of center fielder that the Astros said they wanted to go and sign for years, whether it was Marte or, um, 
you know, any of the other guys that were out, we were told for years, right? We're going to go get this great center fielder every off season. Well, now Chaz is here and you're still not playing him. And Corey Jolks got 78 starts this season. I mean, it's, it's a dusty is dusty's going to dusty, right? Like there's a reason dusty doesn't last anywhere because the players love him. The players have no problem with dusty, but at some point you could see why front offices and ownership are, are, are done with the guy. Like, the Astros have allowed him to get away with more because realistically of how good this roster is, right? Like this is the first season where there's really been a magnifying glass on, on Dusty's managerial decisions. We had the AL West one from the, from the first pitch of the season last year, and we had it pretty much the whole way in 2021. And nothing that happened in 2020 was going to get Dusty fired because they picked up year two of his contract after game one of that season. So, this is the first year he's really been under the microscope because of injuries. This team's not blowing everybody out every, you know, week in and week out. And now here we are seeing this is what Dusty's been his whole managerial career, Scott. So I got two things on that. Number one, if I'm Chaz McCormick, I'm not a big Dusty fan because here's what's going to happen. So Chaz McCormick came up. So two years ago, if he's not arbitration eligible after this year, he's arbitration eligible after next year. And what is management going to do whenever he presents his number and management presents their number? They're going to say you couldn't play a whole season. You only played 120 games. You couldn't get through a whole 162. You couldn't be. You're not an everyday player. That's what Although, they're going to say. I think it would behoove the Astros. And we'll see with our with Dana Brown, Scott, because this, is, this goes back to that conversation you and I were having last night about the guys that have walked. Because when it comes to position players, the Astros have guessed right every single time when they've let a player walk, right? Springer's not the same player he was when he was in Houston. Correa's not the same player he was uh, when he was here in Houston. But when it comes to some of those pitchers, uh, Cole, still absolutely fantastic. But you know what? He was out of our budget. Okay. But Charlie Morton, that was a big, that was a big one that you – he's still at an elite level. So at some point – you and I talk about this. The cupboard's bare in the minor leagues. You've got to open up the wallet and extend these guys. You've got Verlander for the next two years on a real cheap deal uh, because you sold your top two prospects for $39 million, essentially. So now's the time to extend these guys. You've got Kyle Tucker coming up. You've got Fromber coming up. You've got an opportunity. What if you bought out Chaz's arbitration this year? What if you said, you know what, Chaz? We're not bringing Dusty back next year. We've seen enough. We're going to give you uh, $50 million for the next five years. Here's the point, though, and I think this is the most important thing. And this is where, you know, I'm going to defend Jolks partially. Because what I think and what I think Dusty does is that he he spends April and May playing everybody. And so you kind of, you know, you're going to figure out who's got the chops and who doesn't. And I think that's where the Mariners, that's where Scott Service is managing circles around Dusty right now. Because they went out in the offseason, they added some guys, uh, Tiasca Hernandez, who has now been hitting well in the second half. And so he's about at career norms. If you look at you know what he's done over his career since getting traded 2017 for, who was it, Tony Sipp? No, no, it wasn't Tony Sipp. It was uh, the other left-hander. Good God, former former starter, 
Liriano. Uh, oh yeah, God, that I want to have. The, I want that trade back. But anyway, they signed Colton Wong. Colton Wong was supposed to be a good fielding second baseman who could hit a little. That's what he was when he was with the Cardinals. That's what he was when he was with the Brewers. He comes in and he is absolutely abysmal. Like it, it was a running gunning, you know, battle in the first two months to see whether Jose Abreu, Jan Segura, or Colton Wong was going to be the worst regular in, in baseball. Mariners cut him. Just said, DFA, get, get your ass out of here. Yeah, we paid you. We don't care. Leave. They stick in uh, a young kid who's not great, but he's certainly better than replacement level. And all of a sudden, the Mariners, you know, also because Julio Rodriguez is, is going the term that I'm going to throw on Jose Altuve, he's going ape shit right now. Um, and, and he is turning into the guy that we thought he was going to be all season. But that's the point. You use that first two months of the season to figure out, okay, who are these guys? What are they up to? What, what, how good are they? Yanir Diaz, I don't think you and I, there is no way in hell we would have thought 21 home runs. Yeah, sure. Why not? But once June 1st hit, we were pretty sure, yeah, this Yanir Diaz kid can hit and field. Right. We looked at Chaz McCormick. Yeah, he's a little bit better than he was the last two seasons. I like Jake Myers as a fourth outfielder type. I like him as a guy that can spell a starter. He's Jake Marisnik. He's, he's Jake Marisnik. Yeah, he's a good glove. He's a guy that you can, you know, that you can certainly put late in the game uh, to replace a fielder, especially if Jordan is your starting left fielder. Hey, you want to, you know, you want to make sure you nail down that defense. Put Jake Myers in left field, or you know, put him in center and move Chaz over to the left. I'm okay with that. Jake uh, and Jake Myers, you know, if you look at his F war and his B war, yeah, he's he's about a win and a half player. I mean, I'll take that from a fourth outfielder all the time. What I won't do is start that player in front of a Chas McCormick. That's where the problem lies. And I'm not starting Martin Maldonado four day, five days a week when I have a Yanir Diaz who. There's another guy when he becomes arbitration eligible is going to be pissed off because he should uh, right now. You tell me if Yanir Diaz were playing five days a week, whether between catcher and DH, who's beating him out for the rookie of the year award? Nobody. And if I give you a guess, and I, and I did send you that statistic earlier, but how many games? What percentage of the games available do you think Yanir's started, whether at catcher, first base, or DH? Probably in the neighborhood of half. 54%. Yeah. Which is neighborhood atrocious. Yeah. Atrocious. What about Chaz? Chaz, I think, is a little bit higher. Um, because he wasn't he was actually hurt for about two or three weeks, if you it remember. It takes into accountable. It takes into right. So I'm guessing about 60, 60, 65 percent. Seventy eight. Oh, so he's a little bit lower. Okay. So he's a little bit higher than that. But that being said, how many teams in baseball don't start their starting center fielder ninety percent of the time? Or in- because, look, Bregman's starting 99.3% of the games. Tucker's 98.5. Pena's 96.9. Jordan, 96.8. Jose Abreu, who's worth negative 1.1 F4, is starting 94% of games. 
I mean, McCormick should at least be starting as much as Jose Abreu. And then you could, because going into this season, I felt like we knew left field could be a little bit of a black hole for a bit with, with Brantley out, but basically every other position is solidified. I mean, even, even we thought the carrying of a third catcher basically meant that Diaz would DH a lot and Jordan would play left field. That was kind of, I remember you and I had that assumption coming into the season. We had that discussion about the roster when it came out. Hey, this means that they're going to DH Diaz a bit, you know, let him get some swings. And then what happens is we, Dusty could have literally cost this guy a, a rookie of the year because at the end of the day, he's got 21 home runs and he's only playing half the games that he's available, Scott. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. Since the all-star break, or since July 5th, rather, he's got a 934 OPS with 13 homers and 36 RBIs and 45 games. Here's where, and this is where I go back to the difference between Scott Service and, and Dusty Baker. Look at what's happening from June 1st on. Because on June 1st, I think we knew probably three things. We knew that Yanir Diaz is a good catcher who can hit. We knew that Chas McCormick is a better player than he was in both 2021 and 2022. Because coming into the season, I mean, he was kind of a 750 OPS guy. And so you're looking at it and you're going like, yeah, okay, I don't know if I want to play this guy every day. But now that he's like 880, yeah, you want to play that guy every day. And now after June 1st, you knew Corey Jolks isn't quite it, right? And Corey Jokes had about he had about a two or three week span where he was playing good baseball. The rest of the time, he has been completely overmatched. He's swinging at just wildly at pitches, you know, way out of the strike zone. You know, he wasn't his walk rate. You you pointed good, it out early on when yeah. he was even even when he was having that two or three week good week stretch. You pointed out the walk rate is not good, and this is something to be concerned about. And it's going to catch up with you because major league pitchers. They know. I mean, remember Morgan Innsberg? How, you know, pitchers figured out he doesn't, he's not going to swing at the low and away strike. Well, <laughs> that's what ended up happening, right? People adjust. Um, what I like, um, oh, geez. <laughs> um, Tim is telling me that Chaz gets another hit just as we're, we're discussing him here on the air. Honestly, um, he had a great at bat. He gets jammed inside, shoots at the in the right field corner for a double. Like Chaz worked his ass off this offseason. And, and I and you're blind if you can't see that Chaz is a top fifteen center fielder in baseball right now. Okay, so let, let's 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 expand outward because I think we've we've hit the Astros here pretty hard. Um so if I were going to take away uh, the Astros, who do you think is the best team in the division other than the Astros? Oh, it's, it's the Mariners. And I know you have some st- statistics that say otherwise, but this is one of the rare times where I will side with Dusty and say that I don't want to go into the statistics here because I watched that Mariners team live. And the state of that ball club right now is not good. Their pitching staff is dog shit. I mean, they had to, they rushed Nathan Avaldi back today um, off the IL. He gets, he gets bum rushed in the first inning. 
And he had, you know why? Because he didn't make a single rehab start. Because their pitching staff is so bad that they're rushing a guy back off the IL after eight bullpen sessions because they don't have time for him to make rehab starts. Well, and, and also let's remember that we've bum-rushed Evaldi on a few occasions when he was with the Yankees and with the Red Sox. So, you know, it's pretty much, you know, I wouldn't have brought him back against the Astros just for that reason. So that that's on them. Now, the numbers I looked up is I, I, I mentioned this, this stat last week. It's a Bill James stat, total runs. So you're adding runs created. You're adding uh, well, pitching runs for the pitchers. And then you're also um, you're adding base running runs and defensive runs saved. The Rangers' current roster, as it stands now, what they've done for all of 2023 is they are more than 100 runs in front of the Astros and the Mariners. There are about 200 runs in front of the Mariners. But see, this is where the Astros were in 2015. You can't tell me in 2015 that the Astros weren't a better club than the Rangers. They just weren't ready. In 2015? Yeah, 2015. I don't know. We faded down the stretch. That's when we well, lost we faded, the division. Yeah, we lost the division. But what I'm saying is, is that on paper, I think we were the better team. I don't know. I, I, uh, I That team was so young. They had no experience, and our pitching staff wasn't ready. But that's what happened. And then we I also – I guess that's the, that's the real-life aspect, right, versus, as you said, on paper. Well, and, and, and the similarities that you had in this team, think about what happened to the 2015 Astros, uh, thanks to our illustrious governor congratulating us on a win in the ALDS before we actually – clinched the win because the Astros had no eighth inning guy on that team. They had Luke Gregerson, who was, yeah, uh, they kind of had a closer, sort of. Was, Gregerson was the closer. Well, he was. Who was the eighth inning guy then? It was. Um, they brought Qualls back at that point. Qualls was, was it, the guy. It wasn't. It wasn't Qualls. I got to look that up. Um, but no, but basically the Rangers are the same thing. The Rangers are desperately trying to throw any anything they can. They moved Martin Perez to the bullpen in the hopes that he could do something. They've moved, you know, uh, they bring in Araldis Chapman, who I'm sure loves to see the Astros every time he's going up against them. I mean, he's got to have nightmares. But just like that. Chapman's been bad. Chapman has not been good. And it's not even just against the Astros, Scott. I mean, he's he's walking in, you know, walk-off runs. He's hitting guys. Chap, Chapman is not the same guy he was even in Kansas City. You know, like, he was able to succeed away from the pressures of a playoff run. And then the moment he got – oh, did Maldonado hit his second homer of the game? He just did. This guy Dunning has taken one on the chin for uh, for the Rangers. That's one of those, yeah, because he had already he was already at five earned runs, I think, a couple of innings ago. So he's just basically okay. Here we go, 2015 Astros. Okay, looking at your bullpen, your bullpen. Oh, that's right. So you had Pat Neshek. He was your eighth inning guy, uh, and Will Harris. I hated Pat Neshek. And that was Will a Harris. Young, that was a young Will Harris. That was his first season with us. So Will Harris was a closer on that team for a while. But Luke Gregerson, you're right. Thirty-one saves was the closer. Luke Gregerson's not a closer. 
No, but he had uh, a decent. If you look at his saves and opportunities, yeah, I mean, he, he, had, was, he had a decent season. He for had us. a three ten ERA. There's no, you know nothing wrong with that. Tony Sip was good for that one year. He had a one ninety nine ERA that season. Tony Tony Sip had a couple good years for us. He was like the only legitimate major leaguer we had on the roster for two years. There you had Chad Qualls with his four saves and a four thirty eight ERA. Uh, the end of the line for him. He was thirty six. Um, but yeah. So the Rangers and the Astros, the 2015 version of the Astros, very, very similar in that they're just trying to patch together a bullpen as best they can in Arlington, and it ain't happening. But let me tell you something. Corey Seager is having a hell of a season. I got yeah. that. It's, you know, he's hitting, what, 350? It was 342 at the start of the game yesterday, and he went two for five. Uh, I mean, he homered his first two at-bats. One, I mean, the one he hit, the first one he hit was uh, honestly the only term that you can accurately use to describe that was piss missile. Like it was, it it, it never left eighty feet off the ground. But he hit one hundred and twelve miles an hour, and it was, I mean, it was a guy who's like my father in law, uh, my father in law who went to the game with us um, at one time was the single season home run record holder at his college when he went to New Mexico. So he he knows a thing or two about about the game. And he, after Seager hits that home run, he goes, Seager swings at 80% of the first pitches. And what do you do is you call a first pitch fastball right down the middle. Like that was a terrible pitch call right there. And so it is what it is. But I mean, that guy offensively amazing, but his, his defensive miscue is what kind of sparked a rally. And that's when I asked my father a lot, like how many home runs you got to hit to make up for your bad defense. Yeah, and, and, and the Astros, that they are a team. Um, the, the terminology we use on one of the fan sites that I go to is bully ball. They bully ball about as good as anybody else that I've if, ever if seen. You make an error, if you make an error in a bad spot, they will pile on well, nine not even, times out of ten. Not even errors. Like if you just let up two or three hits to them in an inning, they will just completely ambush you. We've seen that two nights in a row now. I mean, they've scored, you know, 12 runs tonight so far. Game's not even over. 13 runs last night. They can absolutely bull rush you. And and, and historically, the only team that I can look at that probably is close to that is probably the Big Red Machine, you know, from the 1970s and how deep that lineup went. Um, And and those red teams did not have great pitching. Um. Looking back on some of those Yankees teams, man, like the like the O one or O three Yankees teams, even though they didn't end up winning the World Series, those lineups were deep. Yeah, especially when they got Giambi yeah. in town. They had A Rod. They had uh, Robbie Cano. They had Jeter. They had Posada behind the plate. I mean, those those teams were. They had Bernie Williams in center field. They had uh, Justice and Wright. I mean, they were they were deep. So looking at shifting over to the Mariners, um, they have, I mean, really Julio Rodriguez is probably one of the most exciting young players in the game. Um, he's the, since Mike Trout can't seem to stay healthy, he is really the only center fielder in the game I can think of off the top of my head who is definitely better than Chaz. Um, and he is because, you know, he just does everything. Um Real quick before we move on from Astros Rangers, I'm, I'm going to give you a an interesting proposition. I, I think they can both play center if they wanted to. 
would you take Chaz McCormick or would you take Adolis Garcia um, from the Texas Rangers as your center fielder if you could have either one? They're both about the same age. Both came up about the same time. Uh, Chaz hits for a little bit more average. Adolis hits for a little bit more power. I don't like Adolis's um, approach at the plate. I just don't. Um, the joke we used to tell is, is if he ever goes to Cooperstown, I don't know how he's going to get to the podium because he sure as hell won't walk there. Um, and, and that's, you know, kind of the same thing. And, and I, I tend to believe, and I'm just a big believer in plate discipline because I think those things catch up with you. Tim Anderson is a perfect example in Chicago. He's a, he guys swings at everything. Uh, for several years, he was hitting 300 this year. He's dog shit because, you know, pitchers know they don't have to throw him anything. Now, I think Adolis Garcia, has he's developed a little bit more patience this year. But I don't know. I think it really comes down to – I'd have to look at his defensive metrics because there's a reason why he's playing right field. Um, and, I, and, and I think it's because he's not quite good enough defensively. And so I'd probably choose Chaz just over, uh, over him just for that reason. I think that's fair. I think also part of the reason he plays right is is I think that Leotis Tavares does a pretty nice job in center field for the Rangers. I think when you look at his defensive metrics, he's pretty good. Um, but I, I think I think both are going to have good, successful careers. And I think – I don't think you can necessarily go wrong with either guy. But I do think you're right on the walk percentage for Garcia. That was something I, I, else I talked about with my father-in-law last night. Like, you look at – Seeger and you look at Adolis, there's not a ton of difference in the total number of hits that those guys have on the season. The difference is walks, right? Because Seeger doesn't give away at bats. He doesn't just, um, you know, go down and three, three curveballs and that's it late in the game. Seeger will still work a walk where I saw, you know, yesterday Adolis kind of gave up on that game. Um, and so those are the differences there. I think I don't think you'd ever see Chaz give up on a game. And, and that's part of his background, though, right? He's a, a, a D2 guy who no one ever thought would be drafted. I mean, how many guys in a D2 roster think they're going to get drafted, let alone make it to the major leagues? Uh, and then even once you're there, the thought is one of those guys is just going to have a cup of coffee, let alone win, win a World Series ring, make key plays, do what he's doing now. So I think the longevity of Chaz, I, I do think the career outlook is better there. Yeah, and, and and really not all low walk rates are created equal. Um, I, I I'm a big believer in also looking at you know your your strikeout to walk ratio because you do take like I say a, a Dubon. Nobody's really going to be pitching around Dubon. He's got nine home runs this season, which is more than I ever thought he would get. But typically he's he's going to hit a single off of you. So why are you, you know, why would you pitch around him? Uh, the guy, you know, if you want to go into the extreme in Astros history of a guy that you would know, uh, Willie Tavares. There is no way in hell I would ever walk Willie Tavares. Why? Because a double, basically. Exactly. At that exactly. Point. And what's he going to do? Hit a single off of you? You know, that's that's it. So there's a you know low walk rates by themselves are not killers. But when you see a high strikeout rate with a low walk rate, ugh, I mean, that's just, you know, you're giving away far too many at-bats. 
I mean, I, I like guys who put the ball in play. I like guys who, who draw walks. You know, stealing first base is still the most important stat, single stat in baseball. Single most for pitchers and hitters. I mean, they, they always talk about what's the best pitch for a pitcher is strike one. I mean, that's that's the best one. So, you know, I, Garcia, I certainly wouldn't turn him down. I mean, I, I think we could fit him in somewhere, but I, I don't, you know, if you're if you're going to ask me to trade him for Chaz, no, I'm, I'm good. I think that's a fair take, and I, and I just wanted to put it out there because I do think I think they're a lot closer in value uh, than maybe the casual baseball fan would realize. You know, I think um, just being in the home run derby and, and being the one kind of good player that the Rangers had on a couple bad years of teams, he got a little bit more run. Versus Chaz is that homegrown guy; he's flown under the radar. But if it, right now, I think the real question is, if you're the Cardinals. How, how do you look at yourself in the mirror? Because you had Garcia and you had a Rosarina in your system. And you're a dog shit team right now. And you let both these guys go for fucking peanuts. You know what? Uh, self-scouting is the most important scouting that there is. Absolutely. And if you look at the Astros, I was going to bring up, you know, I, I mentioned this in the uh, chat last night. The Angels are doing something really, really interesting in that the Angels, they decided to kind of go for it at the deadline. Kind of. Like they got Lucas Giolito. They got CJ Crone. They got Randall Grudchick. Okay. I guess. Um, but they didn't do anything compared to what the Rangers and the, and the Astros did. And of course, they got completely bum rushed, you know, in, in the last month. Um, so now we saw that they waived a bunch of guys. Max Stasi was on the 60 day DL. And I don't know if you saw this. He was on the he's 60 got some kind of, He's got some family issues he's been dealing with as well. Um, and so they just decided to put him on the restricted list. Is it because of the family issues? I'm sure they might say that publicly, but no. If they put him on the restricted list, he doesn't count against their uh, against their salary cap, and they might slide underneath the tax threshold. Now, they're not winning the division. They're not going to the playoffs. I don't particularly care what they do at the end of a bad season. So I'm not really – I bring this up not to completely trash the Angels, even though they're a very poorly run organization. But look at what the the Astros have had all the success. We have been to, we've won four pennants, two World Series titles, and six ALCSs in a row, and we've never surpassed the tax threshold. It's unbelievable. I, I, you know, how that they're able to do this, and way that they're able to do this is self scouting. Somebody somewhere, I don't know if it was Luna or if it was people working for him, decided, you know what? George Springer's not it. Let him go. Turned out to be the right call. Carlos Correa, I think, you know, obviously he's got some medicals because, you know, he he tried signing with the Giants. That didn't work. Tried signing with the Mets. That didn't work. 
So there, there's something going on with his medicals, but he is having a horrible season. I mean, just pound for pound, take salary out of it. Jeremy Pena has been a better shortstop than Carlos Correa this year. And I don't know that, you know, anybody would have bet on that. So they let guys go and they made the right call. You just mentioned the Cardinals mentioned two guys that they would love to have in their outfield right now. But see, who did they bet on? They bet on guys like Dylan Carson. They bet on guys like Harrison Bader before trading him to the Cardinal, uh, to the Yankees. Uh, they bet on, um, gosh, who's the guy they hadn't left? Um, who was their left fielder? Oh, uh, Zuna. Uh, well, not Azuna. It was, it was um, gosh, it was the guy that he he had a good year a couple of years ago, and so they thought he was going to be something, and he's turned out to suck the last two years. I'm trying to, um, it'll come to me, but they've made the wrong call. And if you look at the Braves when they were good in the '90s, that's what they did. That's what they pulled off. They pulled off figuring out who was going to be good and who was not going to be good. Okay, did they, you know, throw a bunch of money at Denny Nagel? No. Ended up being a pretty wise decision on their part. But they threw a lot of money at Smoltz. They threw a lot of money at Glavin. They threw a lot of money at Maddox. Because they knew those were their horses. Uh, They kept Chipper around. But really, they rotated hitters in and out, you know, other than maybe, you know, both the Jones Jones brothers. They even let Andrew Uh, walk, though. Yeah, true. Um. And, and that was that was the right call, right? Because he goes to L.A. And they he, let, gains, he gains 50 pounds immediately and sucked. Early in that run, they let uh, Terry Pendleton go. Terry Pendleton was instrumental in getting them to the World Series in 1991. Uh, they let Rollers go. Um, Sid Breen. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think the one that they're glad that they're 100% glad that they let go was John Rocker because, you know, he lost oh, it good both guy. mentally and uh, – well, but then there's other guys like Ron Gant, who was, you know, a decent player, but they let him go. Gary Sheffield, another guy that they let go. And Sheffield is David Justice. Probably a Hall Sheffield's probably should be a Hall of Famer, but horrible guy in the locker room. Horrible guy. Uh, and that's probably what's keeping him out, other than the uh the room, persistent rumors about steroids. Um, is the other thing, but you know, he's a member of the 500 home run club, you know, put up terrific numbers you, for years. Were you a wiffle ball guy at any point in your life? Very briefly. So like wiffle ball was a pretty big part of like my childhood. My dad growing up in Connecticut, like they were big wiffle ball players. And Gary Sheffield was one of those stances that as a kid was, that was one of the ones I got imitated the most in wiffle ball. Cause when he got that bat whip, it just back and forth, like, like Barry Bonds did it a little bit, but Sheffield like took the waggle to a whole new level. See what I did is I was on the pitching end. I I developed a, a delivery, what somebody lovingly called the gump where I, you know, I held the ball backwards. Like I'm showing my hands on a, on a, on a, audio medium folks this is this is the height of audio medium and i spinned it and so it was a slow horribly slow pitch but every time somebody hit it they foul it back because the backspin i mean it was like the best wiffle ball pitch you know you could come up with um didn't work so much in real baseball (laughs) as i as i found out um okay so it looks like 
you know, the Astros have uh, taken care of business here. We're through the seventh inning. We're up 14 to one. Okay. We haven't really talked much about your Mariners. Are you worried about the Mariners down the stretch? I, I don't know if necessarily worried about the Mariners as much as just the Astros inconsistencies. Cause when you go look at this Mariners team, um, I mean, the highest OPS on the team is eight, 40 from their DH Mike Ford and then their best player who is trending in the right direction uh, is Julio Rodriguez at 827 after that I mean you got JP Crawford at 820 and no one else above above 799 so um, I'm not necessarily worried about them uh, I just want to continue to see the Astros play their best level of baseball right because we were coming off a fantastic road trip come home to play the Yankees who are not a good baseball team, and then you get swept. And so I think it was uh, Robert Flores tweeted out last night, I mean, this Astros team could either get swept in the first round of the playoffs or they could win a World Series, and it's anywhere in between. Yeah. Each, I, each individual round, you don't know what team's going to show up. Yeah, that's true. And, and I heard the uh, somebody halfway jokingly suggest we actually go for the wild card so we can start off on the road. Um, I, you know, offensively, yeah, the Mariners don't can't really hold a candle to what the Astros are doing offensively. Kind of the question is, do we have? Will Justin Verlander and Framber Valdez be as good as Luis Castillo and Logan Gilbert? Historically, yes. Historically, yes. Um, I would take Verlander and, and Framber every day of the week, historically. But the way they've looked over the last few starts, I mean, not counting tonight for Framber, obviously. I don't know. I don't know, I, I don't know, what, you, you know what you think. I mean, if that, you know, if that, and their pin, I don't know, is, is quite as good. I mean, they trade away Paul Seawald when they thought they weren't going to be in it. And they probably would like to have him back. But, you know, unfortunately, that's what, you know, that's what happens sometimes when uh, you're Jerry DePoto and you just like to make moves for the sake of making moves. They've got a strong bullpen. I'm looking at it right now. Even without Seawall, they've got several guys with a sub three ERA um, and, and quite a few appearances, right? This isn't somebody just pitching a little bit, but, you know, Seawall was a bad move. They didn't get they didn't get as much back as you would have hoped there, but. But Justin Topa's got 61 appearances in a 2-1-1 ERA. Um, pretty high whip, though. 1-1-3 whip. So um, a lot of a few walks, fair amount of hits on him. But again, he's getting a lot of strikeouts in key situations. Kind of remind their bullpen, some of those guys kind of remind me of like what Stanek was doing last year, where guys get on base and then you strike out three guys. And so we'll see how that works out in the playoffs. But they've got a fantastic pitching staff. And and, and I think the way that, that the season's kind of come down is like if the Astros are going to have postseason success, they're going to slug their way. That's that's kind of where we're at, right? This team is might just have to slug their way through the postseason because we don't have the same horses that we've had in the starting rotation. I mean, in 2017, we were so stacked in the rotation that when our bullpen sucked, we just threw our starters out there through the bullpen and that got us through. In 2022, we had the, quite frankly, the best bullpen in baseball history. 
This year, you might have to score 10 runs sometimes to win a playoff game. What I think scares me about the Mariners, and I don't know if scared is the right word, but I think what concerns me about the Mariners is that we are clearly in the Rangers' head. We are living rent-free in the Rangers' head. There's no other way that you can explain these last two games for the Rangers. I mean, to get it's it's one thing to get beat. It's another thing to get your doors blown off. And, and that's, you know, it's happened two nights in a row. And Max Scherzer is a veteran pitcher. Max Scherzer's gotten the better of Justin Verlander, you know, certainly the 2019 World Series, you know, that happened. So, you know, the Rangers might clip out a win uh, if you're listening to this on a Wednesday. But the Astros came in and stole their hearts. The Mariners are not scared of the Astros at all. Not at all. Um, yeah, if, I, if anything, you know, that world's that, that playoff run last year, the Mariners played the Astros better than anyone. Sure. Like, yes, the Astros swept that that series, but it took a, a late inning walk-off home run in a miracle situation and a questionable move from service at the time to bring in a starter to face Jordan. That one goes our way. We squeak by a tight one-run game in game two, and then we have an 18-inning Jeremy Pena go-ahead home run in game three. Well, in 18 but, innings, yeah. And, and right. he, the Mariners, the Mariners, all they took from that is we can go toe-to-toe with them. It didn't go away, but we'll fucking see you next year. Yeah, That's I, at least how I – and I would have walked up to any Mariners fan and shook their hand and said, I'll see you next year because you guys are going to be back. Yeah, and, and of course, you know, inexplicably pitching to Jordan twice. I, yeah, that did, you know, the first game one, I'll give you. Hey, he beat us. That that motherfucker wouldn't have seen another pitch. Correct, especially playoff baseball. <laughs> I mean, in my if I'm the manager, I, you know, and then finally, of course, in game three, he starts pitching around him after sitting there talking. Well, you don't do that, and then and all of a sudden, game three, he's like, okay, I guess I'll do that. Um, but yeah, the Yankees, we bum rushed them. I mean that that you know, game four was like tense for a while because. Um, because Lance did not have a good start, but we still bum rush that team. Uh, and then Phillies, really, if you take a bad Verlander start and out of game one, a, he had a great first four innings. Yeah, and then all just, of a sudden he just went away from the high fastball. I, he he just all of a sudden started trying to bury stuff down and loan away to Castellanos, and his approach changed from that at bat forward. After that, I mean, you had again a bad Lance McCullers start. Um, yeah, but but other than that, I mean, even that Lance McCullers start, like he was tipping in the first few innings, and he settled in after that. Like it is what it is. The guy was tipping, and he took one for the bullpen that allowed the bullpen to come back the next day and throw a fucking no hitter. Yeah, and who was catching for that no hitter? Not Martin Maldonado. Okay, just just checking. Just uh, I, I thought he caught, I, one, he caught one this year, though. I mean, let's he be did. Real. He, he caught a frobber no hitter. Like. He did, but I looked up the numbers. Christian Vasquez, with the exception of defensive replacements, he caught 30 innings because he caught 12 innings of that 18-inning game. 30 innings, zero runs allowed. So you tell me that the pitchers really needed Martin Maldonado. And you know, something that's always puzzled me, because I if maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but in 2019. Maldonado was Cole's 
personal catcher. And Robinson Chirinos was Verlander's personal catcher, correct? If memory serves, but I'd have to go back and look. Because he also Maldonado was acquired mid-year, if you remember. Right, and then that, at that point forward, all he did was, like, he was always with Cole, but but um, Chirinos was always with Verlander. And then Verlander gets hurt in 2020, and obviously he, uh, you know, he pitched to, uh, he did, he missed 2021 as well, and he pitched to Maldonado last year. But, like, I don't understand the the love of Maldi so much when, like, even when he was on the team previously, he Verlander didn't pitch to Maldonado in 2018. Verlander pitched to, to Brian McCann. So I, I don't understand why the need to have Verlander as your personal catcher. That's just the one. I mean, for Verlander, have Maldonado as the personal catcher. But that's the one guy, maybe him and Fromber, that, again, you and I have both agreed. You kind of you kind of let those guys have their own personal catcher. And who knows? Maybe Verlander was on to something with saying Dubon should have been playing center field because I don't know if Dusty would have played Dubon center field this season without Verlander coming back and saying, yo, I want my boy back in center. You know, the funny thing, is, and, and, I, and I don't know if I mentioned this to you in the chat last night or maybe it was a different chat or it might have been the message board, but one of the things that's never made sense to me about personal catchers is the people you want to have the personal catchers are the rookies. They're the ones that need veteran leadership. They're the ones that need somebody experienced, calm, to call a good game. Do you think JV doesn't know what pitch sequence he needs to do? He's, he's almost 40 years old. He's the best pitcher right now currently in the game who is still active. It's just mind-boggling. They all, well, I need Maldonado to call pitch. No, you don't. No, you don't. And Fromber, Fromber, I could argue one way or the other, but to me, it, the whole idea that you know you're going to sit there, I'm going to let the rookie catcher catch the rookie pitcher, doesn't make any sense. I mean, I, if I the, want the only reason it does make sense is because those guys came up together and and they know each other's stuff, right? But what you're saying is completely right. If if you believe that Maldonado is this savant that you know does all this work and 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 gets guys ready better than anybody else he should be the one bringing these rookies bringing these rookies along yeah i mean jp france hunter brown yeah it doesn't make uh, okay so i think you know we've kind of run the al west into the ground at least you know for the time being let me shift back over uh need to stop watching the astros but um we, we've talked about Dusty being Dusty. You know, we kind of hit that one. So before we get to our favorite segment of the week, which, you know, might end up being a little longer, I have a feeling tonight, than it has in past episodes. Are there any bad sports takes that you've seen out there? Um, I don't, uh, some of the Texans ones, I think. There's a lot of national pundits that are just assuming the Texans are going to be bad again. Um, I don't know if that's a bad take or maybe just premature, Scott, but uh, what do you got for us? Um, yeah, I think I was uh, more the the circular arguments that are coming from, uh, coming from the radio guys here that basically we're hysterical for continually to uh, to bash Dusty Baker's lineups. You and I are hysterical. 
Because, you know, it's a circular argument. The Astros are a winning baseball team. That means he's a good manager. Well, how do you know he's a good manager? Because the Astros are a winning baseball team. See how that kind of forms a nice circle that you really can't penetrate? That, that's that's the uh, circular argument for me. Um, I know that you've uh, you have a lot of love for uh, your your you know TV announcer up there, Dave Raymond, which he disappoints me. Um, he was a nice guy in Houston. I don't know you know how good he was on the radio, but he came to all of our Saber meetings and you know he would talk baseball with us. Um, I, I know guy. for a fact. I know for a fact when he came to Sugarland to be uh, a good friend of mine's color guy after being relieved of his duties in Houston, that he came in thinking he was bigger than the job. That uh, even though this team gave him an opportunity to stay on air and continue his career and work his way back to where he is now, he came in thinking he he should have been the play-by-play guy. Uh, he should have had, you know, kind of should have been bigger than he was. And so I my, my hatred of Dave Raymond, and not even hatred, it's just I don't think he calls a good game, Scott. And maybe, and and looking back on it now, we're exceptionally spoiled because we had Milo Hamilton for however many years. And I know you're not a huge Milo guy, but Milo called a fun, entertaining game. I, I feel like he kept you drawn in. Dave Raymond didn't do so. And Dave Raymond was the guy that followed Milo. Well, then who replaces Dave Raymond is Robert Ford. And again, you know, maybe we're a little bit of homers. Maybe we like Robert Ford because he accepted our our invitation to come on this podcast. But I say this, taking all that out of it, I think Ford might be better than Milo. And that's where I think we might be spoiled. But maybe it's the success the team has had. But I know you weren't a huge Milo guy. But, man, it is so enjoyable to listen to Robert Ford call a baseball game. I, I... I pay money to be able to listen to Robert Ford call games up here. I love laying in my pool listening to Robert Ford. Maybe we're spoiled, but I just don't think Dave Raymond has that. He doesn't have that it factor. And 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 he just he fits Dallas. Dallas is a great town for him to do his little stick bullshit that he does on the air and and try and you know, he's, he's got classic Napoleon syndrome where he just is trying to start shit with, with the real king of the, of the West, which is us, because they don't have the history of winning that we do. They don't have a classy fan base. They don't have a fan base that gives a shit because they're all sitting here waiting for the Stars or the Mavericks or the Cowboys. There's no diehard Rangers fans up here like there are. I mean, there are, but not at the same level as, of, of diehard Astros fans. Because I feel like way more Astros fans stuck with the team through the losing years in Houston than you had Rangers fans sticking through the losing years here in Dallas. So two things on that. Number one, I don't know if you've ever watched uh, anything from Urinating Tree on YouTube, but uh, they did a Rangers Legacy of Failure, which is about a 20-minute video because it, it follows the Rangers throughout their history. And it is hilarious absolutely hilarious you got to do yourself a favor and watch that thing 
because uh, particularly when they get into that, you know, World Series with the Cardinals, and they, you know, they found a way to choke that job. And they had a um, Gold Glove winning center fielder yeah, on the bench, and Andy right. Chavez, and all you had to do was put him in. But Ron Washington well, the, wanted well, Nelson that, Cruz out well, that's there what, to that's what celebrate. Well, that's what the guy said in the video. He's like, "Defensive replacements? What are those?" <laughs> I think I've hilarious. seen that video. It's, um, it's hilarious. But um, here's what gets me about so the Astros essentially hired two play-by-play announcers to do radio, which I, I don't get. They it was ha- Dave Raymond, and who was the Brett second Dolan. one? Brett Dolan. Is, yeah. No, because here's the kicker. Brett Dolan, I didn't think he was that bad. I don't think he was certainly not worse. That's who I don't like. It's not Raymond. It's Dolan. Dolan's the one who I thought really, really sucked. Well, Dolan, you'll be happy to know then, he's like basically like a third stringer on 610. Yeah, like like they've they've uh, he's come on recently because I think uh, Brandon Scott, another guest of ours, he's uh, had some tough times. He yeah, he had a death in the family, and so he's taken some time off. And so basically, if Sean's unavailable and Brandon's out, then it's either Wade Smith or Brett Dolan, you know, taking that uh, taking that slot. And yeah. It, that was a rough time because, you know, to me, the, the what they should have done is they should have gone out and hired. And I hate and I hate having to have X players be color guys. I mean, I think that's, you know, typecasting, but they should have gone out and hired like a, a true more color guy. To, you can have yeah. you can have a legit analyst who's not an X player, but you you can't be a play. You can't be a play by play guy. Because you're not going to give the right insight, right? You're not going to have an enjoyable broadcast when you have two play-by-play guys fighting each other for airtime. Because that's what it was. It was it was awkward, right? Like it felt awkward to listen to when you had two legit play-by-play guys fighting each other for airtime. I mean, basically, uh, to go behind the scenes, uh, if y'all have listened to this podcast long enough, you know that Tim, you know, was a play-by-play announcer until you know the pandemic kind of you know shove that aside. I took broadcast journalism for a year and I quit because of all the production stuff I just wasn't into. There is no way I could have done what you do or did. I could have been a decent color guy, I think, because I think I know enough about the game, but I, there was no way I would have walked into your booth and said, you know what? We're sharing the play by play. No, Correct. No and I think, and that's where I think you don't have to be a former player to be a good color guy, right? Like I think someone like yourself who's well-versed in statistics or sabermetrics with a good play-by-play guy would know how to use you and, and be able to bring you into the fold and, and give me those stats in the right moment. But what the Astros did, and, and to, if you remember, Milo started only calling home games. And so at that point, they brought in, I believe it was Raymond was first, and Raymond would travel with the team and do road games, and Milo stayed home and did and did home games. Well, then after Milo retired, um, you know, Dave Raymond stayed on, and then um, it was Jim, uh, it starts with a D, uh, just, he went to the Cubs. Um, Deshaies. Jim Deshaies. Yeah. Jim Deshaies, I believe, was the radio guy with. Um, he was on TV. He was on he TV. Was, okay, with, it was TV with Brownie. So it was yeah. Bill. It was Brownie. Was the uh, was the radio guy with with um, with Milo, and so Brownie retired as well, 
when Milo retired. Then they bring in Bill Dolan. And it just wasn't a good fit. It was never a good fit from day one. And I feel like they forced Dave Raymond on us. I don't know the the politics behind the scenes of if Milo had any say in, hey, this is the guy I want to do my games while I'm on the road. I don't know. But I do know that those, I mean, it was the dark years, right? Like it wasn't a great product. But it seems to me like the moment they hired Robert Ford, that product got better. And then also the fee- the on-field product got better too. So it was obviously more entertaining to listen to. I think we're Milo. Um, I certainly didn't hate Milo. And if you listen to his story. You just don't have the same appreciation that I do. Yeah, I think that's probably Milo. That's the best way of saying it. Um, the Milo story gets better in whenever he tells the story between him and Harry Carey, because Harry Carey was an ass. You know, he, Milo has leukemia, has to take time off. And Harry Carey's like, well, you know, some of us show up to work every day. And it's like, you fucking ass. Like, you know, but Milo, I, he did keep things uh, entertaining. I uh, love the whole blue star thing, you know, when somebody, you know, would make a great play. Uh, True Luck, Steak, and Stone Crab, he would plug them like about once an inning. Um, Holy Toledo, what a play. Put a blue star by uh, that one, baby. And so, yeah, he there, there, were, there were moments. Um, I, I feel like he brought, the thing that Milo did was he brought the atmosphere of the game into your radio. Because I, I specifically, and it wasn't even a positive moment, but in the 2004 NLCS, I had gotten my TV privileges revoked at that time. And, and so I'm laying in my bedroom, listening to the Astros Cardinals game um, on radio. And this is the one where Pujols hit the fucking moonshot off of Brad Litch. And you could feel, you could feel the depression in the stadium. You could feel the depression in Milo. As that happened versus, you know, when, when Raymond and Dolan were there, maybe it was because the team was losing a hundred games a year and you didn't have the up to come back down, but you just, you just didn't feel that vibe. You didn't feel like you were there. Yeah. So I think we, uh, kind of hit, you know, past bad take Boulevard. So I'm going to let you lead off because I know you have a scumbag that I'm not going to endorse the person. I'm going to endorse your pick. For a scumbag, but I'll let you lead off this this week. Yeah, you know, as you and I have talked about before, we, we've kind of tried to lay off as much of the political stuff and maybe maybe kind of just save it for the scumbags, I think, is the path that we've taken. Because it's, it's really hard for you and I to just turn a blind eye to everything that's going on in the world. Um, and, and the one that's really caught my eye lately is the writer's strike, the WGA writer's strike and the Screen Actors Guild that's going on right now. Uh, and, and for several reasons, first and foremost, I'm 99.9% time. I'm going to side with labor on a strike. That's just how I am, you know, part of my language, but fuck our corporate overlords sometimes. Like if they're not, if they're not taking care of your employees, you're not someone I'm going to support. And in, and when you look at the economics of, of why the writers, um, and the actors are striking, it's obvious, right? Like the streaming model is, robbing these people blind they're not getting paid what they're worth netflix and and disney and all these companies are making unbelievable amounts of money off the backs of writers and actors who don't make a penny on some of these streaming deals uh it, it, you know aaron paul was talking the other day he plays um 
the the, the bald kid in Breaking Bad. Uh, Jesse he plays Jesse in Breaking Bad. He doesn't make a dollar off Netflix. The star of the fucking show doesn't get a dollar off of Netflix. And people come in and they say, oh, well, he made so much money on his first deal. Why does it matter? And those people are the ones I have a problem with. Specifically today, it's Bill Maher. Bill Maher is a fucking piece of shit, first of all. We can start with that. Bill Maher, the only reason he's even famous is the low level for comedy in the 1980s. There was so much new cable space and so much MTV and Comedy Central, and there's just so much airtime that a lot of mediocre comedians got run, and they got somewhat famous off of it. And Bill Maher is one of those guys. He's not funny. He's not good. And his show would be nothing without his fucking writers. But Bill Maher has Jim Gaffigan on and and starts calling the demands of the Writers Guild kooky and says it's disgusting and what they're asking for is ridiculous. When he's sitting there having everything he's ever had, success-wise, it's because someone wrote it for him. They wrote it for him. He's not a good writer. He doesn't write his own show. He has writers. And the look on Jim Gaffigan's face as he's saying these things is priceless because Jim Gaffigan is like, oh, you know, actually, I uh, I can't attend to side with the with the writers, and and then he, you know, being Bill Maher and the shit lib that he is, he, oh, you know, they've got some good points, but you got to admit they're kooky. You got to admit it. And to me, Bill Maher is no different at this point than Joe Rogan. Bill Maher and Joe Rogan are similar in this way. Joe Rogan is a right leaning shitbag, but he does it in a way that he thinks he can. He can be the guy on the right that people on the left listen to because he gives everybody a fair shake. He lets everybody talk their points out. He doesn't hold anybody back. Everybody can come on a show and say whatever they want. And if you've ever listened to Joe Rogan, he offers no pushback on anybody. Literally, you can go on Joe Rogan and just talk your ass off and he won't stop you at any point. Bill Maher is the same way. Bill Maher thinks he's the lefty that can show people on the right that we're not all bad. But at the end of the day, he's not a fucking liberal. He is a right-leaning piece of shit who parades around as a liberal, giving people on the left a bad name. Because remember, I'm I'm not a liberal. I am left of liberals. And I think liberals at time cause problems by thinking things are good enough. And this is exactly what Bill Maher's doing. These guys have it good enough. Why do they need more? Why do they need to make as much money as a CEO? That guy obviously is qualified to be there. Well, what the fuck does the CEO of Disney actually do, Scott? Because at the end of the day... He's got writers, he's got directors, he's got casting producers, he's got all these people. So what does he do? Say, good job, go ahead and do it. I'll sign that check. I will check that box off today. Mm, Got to go play golf. Got a tea time with Mickey. See you later. Fuck that guy. He doesn't need $400 million. And fuck Bill Maher for being a shit lib who stands in the way of progress. So what I'll say about Bill Maher... What can I say about Bill Maher? Well, the first of all, on the writer strike, and I, I think the really big deal, and I don't know that you did not mention it, and I don't watch Bill Maher, so I don't know if he mentioned it. The big bugaboo right now is AI. Because oh, it's, it's it's terrible. They're trying to let that, AI write scripts and then have people come in and just do punch-up and then just pay them 1500 bucks for the whole series to punch up these AI scripts. Exactly. And, and, and if you're, you know, if you're writing a Sylvester Stallone film, how good does the writing really have to be? 
I mean, we could, you know, I think my dog could write a good script for a Sylvester Stallone film. But, you know, and I, and I got to hand it to the actors. You know, I think part of what they're doing is in solidarity for the writers. And, you know, I applaud them for that. You know, good on them. And like you. Um, it shows why unions work, right? Because as an actor, you have no job without the writers. And this is why your unions work together. You don't fuck the writers so you can make more money. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to be a famous actor if all your parts are terrible. Right. And, and so what, what happens with Bill Maher, and I, and, and I see this, you mentioned Joe Rogan, you mentioned, um, and, and, and this gets to, you know, some of our politicians who some people will argue, no, they're really not racist, but they want to be nice to racist. And it's like, if you are really not racist, but you act racist in order to get support, there's no fucking difference there. There's none. And so if you're Bill Maher, I don't know what his politics really are. Don't really care. It's, you know, who you portray yourself to be. And the thing that makes me angry over the last, I would say, longer probably than you've been alive since I've been a teenager, I've seen it. And that is this both sides garbage. Both sides do it. We have a fancy word for that. It's called nihilism. Y'all can look it up. But basically, when you look up the definition of nihilism, basically what it says is, is, is the belief that nothing matters. And so it's, it's, Russian, it's a Russian propaganda technique. So basically what it says is, you've done some bad shit, I've done some bad shit. So really, you know, we're kind of equal, even though the bad shit that I did is far worse than the bad shit you did. Eh, we do, it, it's all in a wash. So that's basically what Bill Maher is at. I mean, he's basically looking at, you know, what conservatives are doing and saying, okay, it's awful, but these liberals, these leftists are kind of kooky. And so it's a wash. It's like, no, it's not a wash. One side's really, really, really bad. And the other side, not perfect, but, you know, livable. So, I mean, it would be like sitting there saying, well, I had this kind of stale macaroni and cheese, but over here I've got dog shit. Well, let me eat the dog shit because it's basically the same as the mac and cheese. It's like, no. It, it, and that's where, that's where Bill Maher is at. That's where, um, God, his name um, did meet the press. Oh, good God. He's finally leaving. Um, Chuck, Chuck Todd. Yes, he does the same thing. Fuck him too, man. Yeah, he, he does the same thing, and it's like platform people, right? Like that's why Joe Rogan's a problem because the like let's take his Alex Jones's appearances on Joe Rogan as an example. If you want to bring Alex Jones on and point out every time he's lying, I'm li I'll listen to that interview because I'd love to see Alex Jones react to that. I'd love to see him called on his bullshit. But when you let him go on and just go that's bad when you let elon musk come on and just go that's bad just because you let neil degrasse tyson come on every now and then talk about fucking space doesn't make it all the same well and dave letterman showed how this was done way back in the day and this was back i it might right around when you were born maybe the 90s he brought in rush limbaugh and he just absolutely roasted him 
And, you know, finally at the end, he says, do you ever get the feeling you're just full of hot air? And, and, and Rush had nothing. I mean, he, he was just red in the face and he was just like, uh, you know, and he had nothing. You couldn't debate him with one arm, t- with half his brain tied behind his back, as no. he used to say? Yeah. No rush bow? Nope, he, could, he couldn't pull it off, even though he's the Congressional Medal of Honor winner. You know, good oh, Lord. Um, yeah. All right, so related to politics, my scumbag is actually related, you know, in a roundabout way to what Tim was talking about. And this is Labor Day. So I'm going to look this up because I saved it. I'm going to actually look it up on X. Because this is just a, such a special, such a special. Okay, here we go. From Bridget Gabriel, who I think I've mentioned before. Labor Day is a socialist holiday. Don't celebrate it. No, I don't celebrate it. Well, good for you, Bridget. I'm so happy that you're working on Labor Day. Um, now, Bridget Gabriel is not from the United States. She says she's a survivor of terrorism. Uh, so, okay, whatever. Um, I'm not going to completely hang on real quick. If you're not from the United States and you're a survivor of terrorism, it's like an 80% chance the United States bombed you. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Damn. Okay. So let me help her out here because there's a lot of people who've been being anti labor unions as well. And Tim brought up labor unions, you know, with his rant on Bill Maher and I'm a hundred 50% behind Tim on that one. Just going to tell a little story here. My parents, they started teaching in 1967. I was just talking to them tonight because they invited me over for dinner. My mother made 4500 bucks as a teacher. My dad was a teaching assistant at the college level because he was getting his master's. He got 2500 bucks. Okay, that $7,000... In 1967, in, in 2023 dollars, is worth a little more than forty thousand dollars combined. This is their combined income. They used to tell my sister and I stories about how they would collect Coke bottles to go to the grocery store and trade them in so they could afford groceries. These are people who were two college-educated teachers. Now, I don't know how much your wife is, ma- is making, but I'm guessing she's making more than 40 grand. I'm certainly making more than 40 grand. The average teacher in the United States in 1967 was making equivalent to $44,000. The average teacher. So that's like 15, 20 years of experience. So how did your wife and me get to the point where we are now? Well, in the state of Texas, we don't have teacher unions. We have associations. But those associations have done some number of things for us. Number one, they lobby the state legislature. So they are there every time trying to get us pay raises, every session. Okay, they're there lobbying school boards to give out pay raises. They were there to make sure that your wife and I get a 45-minute conference period every day. That's part, it's in our contract. We get duty-free lunch every single day. When my parents were teaching, that wasn't the case. They could take your conference period. 
They could take your lunch period and say you have duty and you're going to have to shovel down a sandwich while you're watching the bathroom. They could have done those things. They can't now. They can have you work a lunch duty, but they have to, you, they have to give you a half hour where you're free from any and all that. Okay, there's other protections that we get. So like when somebody tries to, like when somebody did, tried to fire me without cause, I had my teacher association send me an attorney for free. Get that situation figured out. The turn of the century. Here, Miss Bridget, since you're not from the United States, let me, let me give you a little bit of a lesson. The reason why you don't have the big bad boogeyman of socialism in the United States is because of labor unions. If you took away labor unions, you know what would have happened at the turn of the 20th century and the end of the 19th century? You would have had a worker uprising, something that you know other countries have had. And there were worker uprisings yes, too. But I not, mean, when you look at yeah. the, I mean, there was a fucking war fought in West Virginia of the coal miners versus the the coal owners. I mean, they they hired private security to drive an armored train into an encampment of striking workers and murder them all. Yeah, and, and, and other countries have had bigger uprisings because they don't necessarily, they didn't all have labor unions. Labor unions got us the 40-hour work week. Labor unions helped give us the minimum wage. Labor unions helped give us safety regulations and, and, and government organizations like OSHA. Gov uh, labor unions made sure that you didn't have children working until you became Arkansas, and then we were going to bring that back. They They didn't have, you know, Prior to labor unions, they didn't have any of this stuff. People were working 60, 70 hours a week making literally shit. Having to go to the company store, buying what they needed, being in debt. So basically being indentured servants for the rest of their natural lives. They didn't get Social Security. They didn't get Medicare or Medicaid. They didn't get any of this stuff. Labor unions help bring this on. So you know what? Whenever we have one day where we're going to honor the people who work in our country. Maybe you could, if you're not going to celebrate it, maybe you can just shut the fuck up. Let the rest of us celebrate it. And if you're a Republican politician who's going to complete, is going to hundred percent of the time vote against the interest of workers, maybe don't put out a condescending, you know, tweet where you sit there and say, well, you know, happy labor day to all the workers. Cause you know, the Republican party, we're the party of the working man. Yeah. Sure you are. That's why we have so many more billionaires now over the last 40 years, because the Republican Party is the party of the working man. Sadly, their base is made up of the working man. They don't do anything to help their base. I, I don't get it. You know, I, I, I told you last last episode about the guy who popped off with the Trumpy shit in the middle of the golf round. The guy lives in a fucking double wide trailer. They're not doing anything for him. But he's so brainwashed that these the, the Democrats is run by pedophiles. And it doesn't matter what the Republicans do. What's so sad, Tim, is that there I've, I've listened to videos of Trump supporters who are basically are two-thirds of the way there. They're two-thirds of the way there. They see that wages have stagnated. They see that corporate profits are soaring. They see both of those things. And yet... 
I'm still going to vote for Trump because, well, I don't like Hispanic people or I don't like women or I don't like gay people or I don't, you know, whatever. I don't like. I mean, there's also there's a psychological theory or I can't remember the name of it, but essentially like when you've been lied to for long enough, eventually your brain won't accept the truth, right? Because it's so jarring to you that you've accepted this false reality for so long that even when you're presented unrefutable evidence that that is not correct, your brain will find a way to deny that. Oh, so that's sure. Where, that's where we are with those people. Well, sure. They, they will find a way that, like you said, they're two thirds of the way there, but that final third that they need to connect all the fucking dots, they're taking a hard left turn and they're not going to that third dot. They're going to the moon. Well, it's a far right turn, as it turns out, not really a far left turn. There you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's actually, and that's what makes me crazy. Like, we could have common cause with these folks, but they're too crazy. Like, you could sit there and say, hey, and, and they'll they'll actually mention it. You know, all these politicians are bought and sold, and it's like, yeah. Yeah, we know. Everybody, yeah. every, we've been saying that. Or when they said, get rid of the FBI. Anybody on the left was like, fuck yeah, get rid of the FBI. They've been killing fucking leftists for years. This is why the FBI killed Fred Hampton, because as the leader of the Chicago Black Panther Party, he was able to get the Latin Kings, you know, racist white gangs of people and the Black Panthers all working together to help the youth of Chicago go forth and be better in schools, have free lunch programs, buy these kids shoes. And our FBI director, Hoover, called him one of the most dangerous men in America. Why? Because he was able to get people to look past race and look at, we're all in the, we're all in the same economic status. We should be working together. Yeah. And, and they've and- used this tactic for years, right? Like anytime, like if you look at like the Pullman strike in the in the 1800s where uh you know Pullman obviously owned a large majority of the travel train business in America they had segregated who did what job black people were the porters white people were doing different things so when the white people struck or were on strike it was like well we're still paying you better than the black people what do you want us to like pay them the same as you and they're like okay hey you're right you know you're right we don't want to well no you guys should work together and then everybody's rate wages come up well and that's what you know and then you get your your conservative politicians i think and guys like tucker carlson who have kind of clued into people distrusting corporations because that's that second that second part of that thing but they're now using that woke thing disney's bad because they're woke no disney's bad because they exploit workers that's why they're bad. I mean, right. it, and, and, and for the first time in my life, I work for a company that like literally takes care of workers, right? Like I've never really been at a large corporation that legitimately, they give me time to go off volunteer. I, I can pick an organization I want to go volunteer for and take time off to go do that. I, I get training. I get free, like I get life insurance and invest all this stuff that a company knows we could take all these profits and keep them ourselves or we could reinvest them in the company and our employees will stay around longer making our company better because we have better knowledge of employees who have been here for a long time thus making us more money in the end instead of what's going on right now is mm, we didn't cash flow as much as we needed to let's lay off like 200 people so this next quarter 
our our cash flow is huge. Stock number goes up. Everybody wins. We'll deal with the fact that we fired everybody who knows how to do stuff in quarter number four. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And 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 so and and these people who have gotten two thirds of the way there, they they take that hard right hand turn where they figure like, yeah, corporations are bad because they're woke. And it's like, no, you were just there. You you had it within your grasp. You could reach out and touch it. But uh, not no, and, and and like you said, not all corporations are bad. Um, there's some you know really well-run corporations and corporations that do a good job of taking care of their workers, but there's some that don't. And you know the thing is, is that it, I don't know a single person who has said get rid of corporations. Period. I just let's regulate them a little bit more. Let's keep them a little bit more honest. And, and I'm all for profit sharing, right? At the end of the day, the CEO did very little to make money in that company. But the guy who literally built the stuff that you're selling, he's worth something more than the $15 an hour, right? If you if you run a, let's look at Raytheon, for example, right? Like a company like that, that builds military technology. The guy who's actually building it, the one who's in the warehouse building that shit, he's got a level of knowledge that you and I could never imagine. Why is he only worth 50 bucks an hour? Why does he not get a percentage of every time one of those things sells? He should, but he doesn't. They actually do that. Some unions have done that. Uh, but that's but that's why I love unions, Scott, that's- because you should have – there should be – employee ownership and that and at the end of the day that's that is what socialism is right where it's ownership of those utilities the, the the profit sharing that people think socialism mean no one works hard no it means you work just as hard if not harder because now when there's a big win i fucking win too because the steel yeah the steel industry did this they um you know because most of it you know is, is centered around you know detroit obviously because you know the car industry is going to use a lot of it but they opened up a factory i want to say in north carolina and you and unions and management got together said you want more money but we can't afford to pay you more per hour so here's what we're going to do we're going to pay you for every sheet of steel that you produce well holy shit no all of a sudden the company's producing more steel and the workers are getting more money um, I, you mentioned the uh, CEO of Disney. Ironically, he is actually, I think, earning his money over the last couple of years having to deal with Ronnie D. Uh, probably before, because he's running circles around him. Uh, so you know, I think, I, Scott, I think you and I could have done that. I honestly think in the same position, like you don't have to do anything. I, really, uh, to, to beat Ron DeSantis, you just have to not talk. If you let Ron DeSantis talk long enough as we've seen in this presidential race he's gonna make an ass out of himself so if you could just sit on your hands and let ron DeSantis run his mouth you'll end up on the better side of things all right tim uh i think we've kind of reached a natural end i do want to say real quick before we wrap it up though you know we we talk so often about the scumbags I, i have a delight this week um you know as you know i went to the rangers astros game on labor day um it was my first chance to bring my young two-month-old baby to a game. And, you know, Scott, as you know, as, as a father who loves baseball, that's a big moment in any in any dad's life. It's her first baseball game. 
Uh, so getting to share that big win with her was absolutely fantastic. And, and a big shout out to to my father-in-law who, who put together an unbelievable outing for us. We had, we rolled up, our parking spot was right next to the stadium. We had a special entrance. We walked right into the Benny Keith suite. All the food, all the drink you could imagine. And I got to say, if you're bringing a kid to the stadium, that's the way to do it. We had our own private bathroom, didn't have to deal with the hordes of people. When it got too loud, we can go inside the suite um, and it helped keep our nine-year-old entertained too. So I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to go back to just standard plastic seats after the level of luxury I saw yesterday. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. I, I've only done a private box once, and it was ironically is not for an Astros game or, you know, or Texans or Oilers or Rockets. It was for the Duran Duran concert at the rodeo. Uh, hungry like the wolf, baby. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we and, and and I'm sorry you missed the Tears for Fears concert earlier this summer. I know you would have enjoyed. I'm sorry it. too. Yeah, you I think have. I had a great time. Uh, it was a good concert. They they did have a, a a band that played before them that was a little too long, but hey, all right. So we've reached. I think we've reached a natural end to this episode. So Tim, where can the folks find you? I'm on Twitter for now. Tim underscore Costello ten. Um, you can also find the Snaphook podcast uh, on Facebook if you look for the Snaphook. We are there. Um, Scott, what about you? Um, I am still on X for the time being, uh, just lurking. Yeah, probably will be quitting any day now, but as, at, at Esparzola, also there for threads and, and all the other kind of good stuff. Um, I, am, I have added most of the past episodes onto my Substack. So those of y'all who uh, want to access things there, uh, we're still kind of dealing with some technical issues right now, trying to get uh, these last two episodes uh, loaded up. But um, definitely check out, got some writing going on there and at Battle Red Blog as the Texan season gets going. Yeah, Texans uh, have this Sunday off and then, hey, we're at it. So next week we'll probably be a little more heavy on the Texans as we get ready for week one of the D'Amico Ryan's era. I'm excited for it. It should be a good episode next week. Uh, maybe Scott and I can wrangle up a, a, a guest or two. I'll see maybe what Cody is doing and, and reach out and see if he'd be interested and talk a little pigskin with us. But Scott, it's been a blast. I love talking baseball with you. Uh, it's been been a good couple days here for the Astros coming off a bad series and it was uh, great to talk with you. If you're waking up on a Wednesday morning, the Astros are going to have a one-game lead in the AL West as you wake up here on this beautiful Wednesday morning. But we have been the Snaphook Podcast. We appreciate everyone who took time to make us a part of their week, and we will be back at you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Snaphook and making Scott and I a part of your week wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl, and this outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium. We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the Snaphook movement. We look forward to seeing you next week on the Snaphook. Snaphook.